Good afternoon from Washington, D.C. I'm Paul Kincaid, Director of Congressional Outreach for FMC, the Association of Former Members of Congress. I'd like to welcome all of you to our virtual roundtable today. For those of you who have missed previous episodes, I'd invite you to visit our archive at www.usafmc.org sounds to check out our other programs and to subscribe to Virtual Roundtable as a podcast, either on Apple or Spotify. This is an interactive discussion today. We'd love to take your questions. So if you have any questions at any time, simply click the Q&A bot button at the bottom of your Zoom screen, fill out your name and your question, and if we choose you, our moderator will call on you to ask your question over audio only to our panel. Again, anytime during the call, just click the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen to ask your question. Today, the United States remains focused on several states as the counting of ballots cast in the 2020 presidential election continues. Most news agencies are now indicating a strong likelihood that the next president of the United States will be former Vice President Joseph Biden, who if confirmed will be sworn in next January. However, the results are not locked in stone yet and President Donald Trump has offered his opinion and that of his supporters in multiple media outlets, including his favorite Twitter. The president has, and his staff have indicated they will not leave office without a struggle and a recent email from his campaign invited supporters to quote, fight back. So an exhausted group of public servants in charge of our vote and an equally exhausted electorate await a final decision on who will be sworn in next January. While around us, COVID-19 still rages with the United States topping 100,000 cases for the first time this week. It is that world and its future that we've asked our panelists here today to analyze. Our discussion will be led by the former senior editor of CQ Roll Call, who is now the editor-in-chief of a publication he's created called The Fulcrum. It's a partner of FMC's. It's David Hawkins, who was manager, uh, managing editor of CQ Weekly for six years, during which the publication won two Dirksen Awards for their coverage of Congress. We're happy to have David here today. Sir, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, this is a treat for me uh, in, because uh, we have with us uh, you know, two of uh, two of uh, the finest uh, uh, and uh, public servants that the country has had to offer in recent years, and uh, two men who are extremely uh, telegenic and clear-headed and articulate, and uh, it's going to be a treat to hear from them. So I want to move just super quickly through introductions in case you all are not familiar with these two, um, and you probably are. Um, Secretary Panetta uh, first. Um, a, represented the Central Coast of California for 16 years, uh, the, the final four as chairman of the House Budget Committee. He was then uh, Bill Clinton's first uh, White House Budget Director and Bill Clinton's uh, second White House Chief of Staff. And then he took a break from government for a brief period and then came back and was uh, Barack Obama's first CIA Director and second Secretary of Defense. So uh, very few people uh, in our nation's history have had that kind of uh, broad-based, uh, deep and broad-based experience, both leading uh, the formulation of both domestic and foreign policy. Um, Mr. Rogers' uh, resume is, you know, almost as strong. Um, he, he is a, um, he was a, he was, he spent five years in the FBI, eight years in the state Senate in Michigan, uh, and then 14 years uh, representing mid-Michigan uh, in the House of Representatives uh, before the last four of those as the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee uh, and now uh, is on CNN and runs the National Security Institute at George Mason University. Uh, and just to remind, although it's the least important thing about each of their careers, uh, I think, uh, Mr. Panetta was a Democrat, uh, is a Democrat, and Mr. Rogers a Republican. Uh, but that's not why they're here. They're here for their expertise in a whole host of other ways. So we had a little pre-conference 
uh, and uh, Secretary Panetta won the coin toss. And so what we're going to do is have each of them sort of give the state of the world, uh, this post-election world as we know it. And then we will, I will uh, follow up with some questions and we'll leave the last 15 or 20 minutes for the questions from you all who have dialed, dialed in. So I guess, you know, the big, we, we also in our pre-conference said we would sort of approach this from the not quite uh, locked in stone presumption uh, that Joe Biden will secure the electoral votes he needs to become president uh, and that the Congress will remain divided next year. Um, amazing fun fact, um, if Biden becomes president uh, and there's a Republican Senate, it will be the, he will be the first Democratic president uh, since the 19th century to begin his presidency with a Republican Senate. Uh, so with that, um, Secretary Panetta, why don't we, you know, what's it, what's it all mean? And what does it mean for um, the resilience of American democracy? What does it mean for America's role in the world? 10 minutes. Ah. <laughs> yeah, uh, just, a, just a small issue to talk about. Um, thank you. First of all, David, uh, for the kind introduction and uh, thanks to uh, the former members. Uh, I wanna pay tribute to uh, all of them who are uh, online and uh, as well as uh, all others that are uh, watching. Uh, it's an honor to be with you and it's a particular honor to be with Mike Rogers. Uh, Mike Rogers and I have had a long relationship uh, when I was uh, a director of the CIA. I uh, spent a lot of time uh, with Mike, who was uh, chair of the Intelligence uh, Committee on the House side, and uh, we've had a close relationship uh, since then, and so uh, it's good to be with Mike. Uh, what to say? Uh, you know, this, this uh, election is in line with uh, everything else that has happened in this screwy year of 2020. Uh, We've seen uh, polarized politics. Uh, we've seen a very divided nation. Uh, we've seen a lot of uncertainty as to what will happen. Uh, certainly the pollsters missed it uh, as they, they have in the past. Uh, there was no real red wave, no real blue wave. Uh, and there is a continuing concern about the future health of ourselves and the future health of our democracy. Now, the good news is that despite uh, all of these concerns, I think all of us can take a great deal of pride uh, in the American people. Uh, we had a record number of voters go to the polls, uh, 150 million, I think is the projected number, uh, which is the largest percentage in 120 years, going back to 1900. Uh, that's, a, that's a real commentary on uh, the strength of our election system. They stood in lines, they sent in their ballots, uh, they dropped off their ballots and all of this happening in the middle of a very serious pandemic that uh, continues to take literally thousands of lives. For a country as concerned as we were before this election about disruptions and protests and election interference and uh, the integrity of the election, I think it actually went pretty smoothly. Uh, and uh, I think it's a tribute to our state election officials, to the local election officials. I think it's a tribute to all the volunteers that manned the various polls. And it's in particular a tribute 
to the American voters. Those that, those of us who've been concerned about the institutions of our democracy these last four years, uh, all of which have been tested, I think what happened on election day should restore a sense of confidence in probably the most important check and balance we have in our democracy, which is the power of the American people to be able to vote and determine who their leadership will be. The bad news is we are still very deeply divided in this country. And as of right now, we still don't know who the hell's president. Uh, it is down to a handful of states, uh, as was mentioned, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, Alaska, I guess is out there as well. And uh, obviously the key for all of us, Republicans and Democrats is to be patient, to allow these officials to count the votes, allow the states to do their job, uh, which I think they're doing well, uh, and to try to avoid disruption. Uh, if uh, Joe Biden maintains uh, his present lead, uh, certainly in Nevada and Arizona, he's, he's at 270. Uh, and right now it looks like, you know, he may be moving up in Georgia and Pennsylvania as well. Uh, if Trump maintains his lead, uh, you know, we could have a very close electoral vote. I think something like 270 to 268. The issue that I think all of us still are gonna be a little concerned about is what happens uh, once that vote comes in. Uh, the recounts, the lawsuits that have been filed. Uh, I think it'll all take a few weeks to resolve, but I, I still remain confident that uh, the end result is gonna be credible. This is not uh, the days of Cook County. Uh, I think you're getting, you know, you got a broad cross section of state officials, uh, local officials, Republican states, Democratic states, they're all doing their job. And I think that ultimately uh, what, the, what the result will be, will be credible. Now, again, no matter who wins, and I, I do believe that Joe Biden uh, has the best chance of winning, uh, he's gonna have to deal with a very divided nation. Uh, you can just look at that election, uh, both the red, red parts of the country, the blue parts of the country. There are some inroads that were made by the Democrats, some inroads by the Republicans but it's still a pretty polarized country. So he's gonna to have to deal with the divided nation. He's gonna to have to deal with the divided Congress. Uh, if the Senate uh, is Republican as it uh, looks it will be, uh, the House will be Democratic. Uh, it's gonna to be tough to deal with uh, leadership from both parties as we've seen. And the president's gonna to have to deal with some of the most difficult crises we've seen uh, in uh, certainly in my lifetime, uh, a pandemic that's still gonna be around. Uh, we're gonna have a problem with uh, the recession and the economy as to whether or not we can put people back to work, get businesses back uh, operating again. Uh, we're still dealing with the issue of racial equality uh, in our society. And in terms of the world, 
we're dealing with a lot of danger points, probably the most danger, danger, dangerous flashpoints uh, that I've seen since World War II. So all of those challenges are gonna face a new president. The fundamental question will be, are we gonna have another four years of gridlock, which I think will continue to be very damaging to our democracy and our way of life? Or will the president and the leadership of both parties finally get down to governing, finally heal the divisions in this country and really try to work together to resolve these difficult issues we're facing? Uh, let me conclude by saying, uh, you know, I tell the students at the Panetta Institute that in our, in our democracy, we govern either by leadership or by crisis. If leadership is there and willing to take the risks associated with leadership, then we can avoid crisis, but otherwise we govern by crisis. Uh, I've seen Washington at its best and Washington at its worst. I've seen Washington govern with Republicans and Democrats willing to work together on major issues. But I've also seen Washington in these last few years more divided, more polarized than I've ever seen it. Uh, and it's been dysfunctional. So the real challenge will be whether or not the new newly elected leadership of this country is going to be willing to take the risks associated with leadership and whether or not they are going to put country ahead of party. That'll tell us a lot about the future of our democracy. Thank you. Uh, the floor is Mr. Secretary. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, the floor is yours. Well, thanks so much. And uh, Leanne, it's always great to, to see you and, and hear you. And I'm going to date us both a little bit. But you, I actually lived in your district as a young lieutenant in the United States Army. I was stationed at Fort Ord. Uh, and you were my representative. Uh, here's the good news for you. I voted in Michigan. I was my home of record. So I, I didn't, so I, I don't have to say how I would have voted had I been there <laughs> in your district. Uh, but you always did such a great job and had such a great reputation amongst the men and women who were serving in the military at that time uh, when I was on the post. So thank you for certainly for that. And I, I'm going to embarrass you a little more. I, I uh, had the, the good fortune to see many CIA directors in my tenure. On, it was a Seemed like we had we went through a batch of them there, uh, and by far the person who I think epitomized what it was supposed to be like was Leon Panetta. A, a wonderful job, took care of the people, uh, the men and women who served in the agency, uh, but also understood uh, that we had a role in the oversight of those committees. And without that classified but public oversight, uh, it doesn't work. If Americans don't buy on into our intelligence organizations, it just won't work. Uh, and Leanne, I have to tell you, you were phenomenal to work with and, and a joy every day. And we, we had that relationship where if there was a problem, you'd call me first versus me having to ask 20 questions. And I, and I tell you, we got a lot done uh, in that time frame doing it just that way. And I, I would love for them to get back to that. I'm not sure we'll ever see that again, but thank you again for, for all of that. Uh, and I'm like Leon, I'm a little bit, I mean, we all got frustrated. We all were emotional in this election. We all had some tough words. We've all seen the memes flying around about our, <laughs> about all of those candidates. Uh, and again, to all my uh, former members as well, thank you for your service and thanks for being here today. And I know we have some international guests. Thanks for joining us. 
I would say this. I, I remember back, uh, it wasn't that long ago, right when I was getting ready to leave Congress, uh, and a Middle East senior intelligence official who I had developed a relationship with, uh, after our meeting one day, I was getting ready to walk out. Uh, and he grabbed me by the, you know, the coat collar and said, can, can I talk to you for a minute? And he said, please tell Americans, please tell your fellow Americans not to give up on themselves. Don't seed the world. Uh, to the bad actors of the world. He mentioned China and Russia. And he said, hey, we're, at the end of the day, we're fairly small and fairly inconsequential. The only people who have ever stood with us for our principles and our way of life was the United States of America. And I thought, well, that's pretty powerful. And you think about how in the last few years we've worked to, to put our hands around each other's throats, probably for not good reason. Uh, that part really, really worried me. What gave me hope in this election is that we did, and it, it looks like it may even be the largest turnout in history. Uh, we're getting close to that. Once all those votes are tallied, we're pretty close to that number. And that meant people who were frustrated, who were angry, didn't stay home, didn't go uh, and do something else. They went to vote. They went to cast their vote. Uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. That tells me that there is still Americans who believe in the hope of our prosperity, our democracy, our liberty, and who we are in the world. And part of that is expressing ourselves in elections in a way that most countries don't get the opportunity to do. I was very encouraged by that. Yes, we are completely polarized. Yes, we're still got, we're working to pry fingers off of people's throats uh, on the, for political debate. And boy, sure, Thanksgiving is going to be really interesting this year, I have to tell you, in most homes in America. Uh, but I will say that that belief, that, that notion that they can still get out and make a difference in their country really should get us juiced up. And for those of us who served in the elected body, we know how hard that is, A, to get there, B, to go through it every couple of years or six years, and then try to govern when we're there. It's not an easy process, but people didn't give up on it. As a matter of fact, they increased, they got up off their couch and went out and voted. I, I'm excited about that. I think that speaks volumes for the hope of the future of the United States. People aren't giving up. They still disagree with each other, but man, they're not giving up on this notion that their vote counts and it, it's meaningful. And I, I agree with Leon completely. Let the, let the votes be counted. Let, uh, let these folks do their job. If it takes an extra day, take an extra day. We'll be all right. Uh, and I argue it's more important to get those votes counted and Americans believe uh, in the system uh, than trying to rush this thing out and, and somebody making a mistake. It, you know, this is about the most important thing we're gonna do uh, as Americans as a whole is elect our commander in chief. And I, to me, it's just really important we get that piece right. So when you look at the problems with politics that we're gonna have to fix going into this next round, and I think Americans like divided government better than they like uh, one party rule government, candidly. Yeah, certainly the stock market does, that went up today. Uh, it's because things slow down and now you have to actually sit down and talk to somebody you disagree with. And I, I, uh, the one thing that has always scared me about the way our legislatures are going is that people go to be celebrities. Uh, I'm gonna, I wanna have more likes. Uh, I wanna have the largest Twitter account I can have. And in order to do those things, you gotta say outrageous things. Uh, you know, you try to fit policy into 260 characters, pretty hard to do. And I'll guarantee you, you're not going to get it exactly right, but you are going to whip people up. And so I see a lot of that in members that go to Congress thinking, hey, it's more important that I'm a celebrity than I actually sit down and talk to somebody I disagree with on policy. 
we're going to, we voters, Americans are going to have to force these legislators back into the tables and saying, hey, you have to talk to each other. And you know what? Not every bad idea uh, comes from party, you know, the other party. Uh, there's probably some pretty good ideas in both parties. Let's sit down and figure out what those are. I'm hoping, like Leon, that that happens going into next year. Is it going to be challenging? You bet. But what they ought to do is understand that 150 some million Americans came out and said, we want this thing to work. You should want it to work too. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, my, my wife says it's a genetic defect that I'm an eternal optimist, but I think that can happen. Uh, and candidly, if it's, if it's Biden, and it certainly looks to me that that's going that way, he does have that more temperament of, you know, where everybody calm down, let's try to get through this. Uh, which candidly, if in, in a divided government, that might be the best personality trait to have, trying to put the wheels back on the cart here, even if you have disagreements with them. And certainly I, I have disagreements on policy, but I, I do think that that temperament is going to be really important to pull uh, America back together. And to listen, our, our international guests who are watching, uh, listen, America isn't going anywhere. I think you're gonna find a cadre of both Republicans and Democrats who uh, want to engage uh, in a more, uh, a more robust discussion with our allies overseas uh, and friends that we think we can, new friends we can make uh, to push back on adversaries that we all know aren't playing by the rules. I think all of those things are possible. I think you're gonna see more of that, not less of it. Uh, and by that, I'm encouraged and I hope you're all encouraged too. And uh, it's probably hard to watch from offshore and you turn on the TV and you, you look at all this mess and you think, my God, what happened to these Americans? But you know what, the tomorrow morning and the next week, whenever they announce the president, people are gonna get right back up and go to work and start partaking in their lives and the political process will continue to grind on. So we're gonna still be the same country. Again, have some differences to work out, but I am really optimistic uh, that the best days of the United States are gonna lay ahead of us. Thank you so much uh, to the both of you. Um, so the Fulcrum, my little news organization, uh, exists to try and cover nothing but the issues of our challenged and dysfunctional democracy. So I'm, I guess, my, which is, has become, uh, you know, I thought it was going to be a very, very tough challenge and it's only gotten tougher in the last couple of years. And since the pandemic, trying to cover um, the conduct of this election has been both exhausting and fascinating. Um, and to me, a bit heartening. And I guess I'm wondering, I think I, I hear it in a little bit in what each of you have said so far, but can you each sort of talk about your view of the legitimacy of the election, whether you think the American people buy that it's legitimate, and what do you think the world is now viewing it as legitimate? Is there a problem? Has there been a problem waiting now more than 48 hours for a result? Is the, is the president making any um, headway with his uh, extraordinary, unprecedented efforts to sow doubt about the election? Mr. Secretary, you go first. Um, you know, I I really feel that uh, that Trump, uh, President Trump, uh, with his comments, uh, has the appearance of flailing uh, right now, and um, I don't. I think deep down, when you know. As both uh, Mike and I said, when 150 million people go to the polls, cast their vote, 
uh, they don't do it because they assume that it's not going to be legitimate. They don't do it because they think their ballots are going to get thrown out or that, you know, somehow there's going to be disruption. They do it because they believe in the system and that their votes are going to count. And I have to tell you, you know, that when you look at state officials, local officials, I mean, when you just watch television and see these people that are sitting there in a room counting ballots, that's America. That's America. And, you know, these are, these are dedicated people. They're doing their job. Uh, and uh, I really think that uh, the bottom line, no matter how close this election is going to be, is that uh, it's going to be credible. I really do. I don't, I, I don't see uh, any game playing here. Uh, and, and I think the American people want it to be credible. Uh, and I think if the president continues to try to somehow question it and files a lot of lawsuits and uh, tries to create disruption, that there is a sense that, wait a minute, we just went to the polls. Uh, we exercise the most power, the most important power we have in a democracy. We are not going to let this president basically try to demean what we just did. Uh, so I, I feel pretty good that uh, I think the election results uh, are going to be viewed as legitimate, uh, that uh, in the end, uh, whoever wins uh, the electoral vote count is going to be president of the United States, uh, and that the country is going to move on. I mean, look, you know, I, I go back to uh, Gore versus uh, Bush. That was, a, that was tough. You know, there were a lot of disputes, a lot of lawyers fighting each other in Florida, uh, and yet when it came down to it, uh, you know, the Vice President Gore uh, was a statesman, stood up, uh, you know, and, uh, and said that uh, he had lost. Uh, we had a new president. As close as that election was, we had a new president. A lot of people, you know, were not happy. But uh, President Bush was president of the United States of America. And I think when we're through uh, with these uh, vote counts, uh, I think uh, Vice President Biden is going to be President Biden, and the country will accept that because, uh, because deep down, deep down, our first loyalty is to our democracy. Uh, no matter what differences we have, no matter how much we fight each other uh, on election issues, et cetera, et cetera, deep down, I really believe the American people have a deep loyalty to what our democracy is all about. And uh, we have been through a tough election. We've been through some tough times. Uh, and and I, I just feel that the American people uh, will accept what the final vote is and we'll all have to roll up our sleeves and go to work. Mr. Chairman, do you, uh, do you share that view? I'm mean, gonna preface that question by saying you, are, you represented a state that um, so far in this, in this year has the, the sort of sadly notorious for uh, armed people taking to, uh, filling the state capitol in Lansing and to express their displeasure about coronavirus lockdown. I haven't seen, I, I'm not, not aware of similar um, civil unrest bubbling up really anywhere. And I'm wondering if you agree with Secretary Panetta that this flailing, as he called it, by the president won't, won't get very far. You know, I, I don't. And I, a, I don't think it's helpful that the president does this. I, he'll lose Republicans if he keeps keeps this up. There are processes in place for legitimate uh, uh, contention of some irregularities. There are there's processes in place to deal with that. Great. 
I was in the closest congressional race in the country in year 2000. Uh, I had 13,000 people vote for Al Gore, 13,000 people vote for Debbie Stabenow and come over and about 13,000 people voted for Mike Rogers and then they went back and voted down the Democrat ticket. I won by 88 votes at the last count. Uh, very close. And we had a recount. Our, my, the, my opponent, who was a, a very worthy opponent and, and would candidly would have made a fine congressman, congresswoman. Um, but we, it went on for 38 days. We had a recount. We had a process. We went through the process. It was it was all legitimate. It was legitimate for her to ask for it. Candidly, it was so close, of course. Um, and so it, as it turned out, uh, you know, at 38 days, uh, you know, she conceded and, and it was, you know, the rest is, as they say, uh, is history. I will add for my members, you'll appreciate this. I got the last lottery draw for the room because I wasn't a seated member for so long. I think I was in the janitor's closet. I'm pretty damn sure they moved out a few mops to put me in there. It was, it was really great. But there is a process for this is my point. So flailing around saying it's not legitimate, candidly is dangerous. And I think is disrespectful to the 150 million people who showed up to vote. I, I just... That's not the way to handle it. If they have legitimate concerns about irregularities, great. There's a process, that's what you use. But to try to invoke this notion that it's not legitimate is, is wrong. It's just plain wrong. It's not great for our democracy. Um, and then if your investigation finds that those irregularities mean something and could change the, and you remember very few of these things ever change the elections at all. Uh, but okay, I mean, you have that right to do that process, but standing using the presidency to run around and say it's illegitimate and laying claim to a state, even though the Secretary of State said it went another way, it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for our country. I hope the president shakes himself out of it and understands it's not his office. It's not about him. It's about the United States of America. That's the most important thing that we take into consideration. After all the fighting and ads and all of that's done, you know, the votes are made. Now we respect it and we move on. And as uh, Leon said, we find, try to find ways we can work together to make America a better place. Given, given all the um, intelligence reports that you all have seen and produced over the years, I'm wondering, um, I, obviously understanding that you're not, you're not read in on these things these days, but do you, do you suspect that our intelligence is that parts of the world are looking at us with a raised eyebrow yet? Our, our, our adversaries or our allies or both. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that to you. <laughs> um, look, I, I, think, uh, I think we've been through uh, a rough period here uh, during the, uh, the Trump administration. Uh, first of all, look, I, I'm a believer in United States leadership in the world. Uh, I think we have a role to play in the world. Uh, we have a role to play with our allies. Uh, and I don't think the challenges we face in the world, and we're, as I said, we're facing a hell of a lot of challenges between uh, terrorism, between Iran, between failed states in the Middle East, between North Korea, between Russia and China, uh, et cetera. Uh, we're facing a lot of challenges. Uh, the only way we're gonna deal with those challenges is through uh, alliances with our friends uh, and to build those alliances. And you know, we've, in many ways, we walked away from uh, those allies. We've undermined our credibility abroad. Uh, and uh, we've certainly uh, weakened our intelligence establishment by the questions that uh, have been raised by this president about uh, people that dedicate their lives to trying to make sure that uh, we protect our country. 
Uh, and I also think he's, he's weakened uh, that military-civilian military relationship that's so critical to uh, uh, being able to support a, a strong military force. Uh, so I think there's a lot of repair work that needs to be done. And I am confident that uh, Joe Biden gets it. Uh, you know, he, he spent, uh, I've known Joe, Joe Biden for 40 years. Uh, he, you know, certainly worked with him when, uh, not only when he was a senator, but also when I was in the administration with Clinton, uh, worked with him and then worked with him when he was vice president. Uh, he's committed to uh, the role of the United States as, uh, as, as a leader. And I think that, I think those relationships can be healed because I, I think our allies want them to be healed. They, they don't want to be in doubt about the credibility of the United States as a partner. Uh, and I think uh, Joe Biden will make clear that the United States uh, will be a strong partner, will work with our allies and uh, will work and, and will also deal with our adversaries as adversaries. Uh, because it is extremely important uh, when you're dealing with Russia, you're dealing with China, that we have to do it from a position of strength and we've got to make very clear to them where the lines are uh, if we're going to deal with them. And so uh, I think it's really important uh, to be able to establish that kind of clear positioning with our adversaries as well. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm hopeful that uh, a new administration and frankly, I think uh, a Republican Senate, uh, you know, has indicated that with regards to many of the positions I just talked about, that they're in line with those positions. Hmm. So I, what I would like to see is, frankly, uh, the United States uh, being able to speak with one voice uh, when we deal with uh, foreign affairs, when we deal with our allies, and when we deal with our adversaries. I hope we can get back to that because that'll really send a clear message to the rest of the world that the United States is back. I guess refining, refining my question a little bit for, for uh, Mr. Rogers would be, do you think that what's happened at least so far this week uh, is uh, would be seen as worrisome to our allies or have have has that is that has it played out normally enough and predictably enough since we've spent so much time talking about a very close election that we haven't rattled our allies yet? I don't think this is what rattled our allies. I think this is something that they've been watching for some time. Uh, I mean, let's face it, Donald Trump has a very chaotic style of leadership. Um, you know, in some cases, I think that works for him. And in many cases, I do, I think it does not. And so I think the allies are looking at this because it's true, what Leon has talked about is true, is that the Republican Senate is ready to re-engage on some of these uh, relationships that have been frayed. Uh, I mean, I just had never believed it's a good idea to you know, roll across Europe insulting your allies all across the, the continent of people that we definitely need to push back on our adversaries. And if we're going to beat, not beat, but push back or at least contain adversaries that are growing in military prowess and economic prowess, you have to have friends to do that. We're not doing it by ourselves. And so I think uh, that uh, if, if they look at this and they see this divided government coming, I think and then the, and what's coming out of the Senate is, hey, we're, we're, we are going to rebuild these relationships uh, and we're going to go back, uh, including uh, to our friends in the Pacific Rim and re-engage uh, with vigor. That to me, if I were looking at that from overseas, I'd say, okay, great. I mean, we had one style that tried to get some things done that, that 
as I said, it's, you know, having your uncle at the party, knocking over the ribs, that's a problem sometimes. Um, I think we knocked over some ribs at the party uh, and we're going to have to fix that. We're going to have to order out. As my mom would say, that's time to go out and get some chicken. We, uh, <laughs> that's a very big Michigan thing. Sorry, I, I don't know where you are yet. But I, I will say that I think we can, uh, I'm more encouraged uh, about rebuilding these relationships and they're going to see uh, that uh, that Democrats and Republicans can actually agree and will agree and do agree on rebuilding uh, and strengthening our relationships, our allies. Uh, remember, NATO plays such an important role in making sure that they understand that we're there and we're not going anywhere, making sure our Pacific Rim allies are, are understanding that, hey, we're coming. I don't know if it'll be a TPP kind of an arrangement, but I think you're going to see some real effort to try to get us all lashed up back together. And we're going to need that to push back at what is, uh, you know, we know is a growing adversary uh, in China. And so, I, I don't know, I, I look at this and think they're gonna be encouraged. This they look at and scratch their head. I think they think this is uniquely American. Uh, you know, we're gonna scuffle about it and fight about it. And we'll say all the, all the bad things you'll see on the news, a lot of the good things you won't. Uh, but I think there's a lot more gonna come together. You know, remember, everybody has to settle down. Temperatures have to go down a little bit. Everybody, you know, the people who lose think they got, you know, they got stolen from uh, on both parties. That does come calm down with time, uh, but now I would argue it's we're, we need to challenge our elected officials to stand up to the challenge of what's happening in the world. Um, and if they're only worried about their next election and not the next generation, then we're going to be right back in the soup here pretty quickly. So, so that was the that was the allies part. So, what um, do you think our adversaries feel like they have some some stuff to work with yet in the in the aftermath of the election? Um, uh, in terms of uh, uh, planting more discord uh, to, here in the United States? Or, and do you think that would be the case, let's say the election is called by the media outlets in the next couple of days because, they, because of the preliminary vote counts, but the president continues to litigate. Does that, um, at what point does that, did that become fodder for our adversaries that's, that's genuinely worrisome? Well, you know, look, as, uh, as Mike knows, uh, our adversaries are not going to walk away. They're going to continue to raise hell uh, and try to undermine our country. I mean, I, you know, Russia's primary objective is to weaken the United States of America and to undermine our institutions. That's what they're about. Uh, that's why I, I always had a concern about President Trump's attitude towards Putin, because uh, frankly, uh, they're the enemy. <laughs> they're the enemy. And they're going to continue to uh, try to disrupt uh, our country. They're gonna to continue to try to, you know, uh, use uh, social media and use hacking and uh, use uh, cyber to basically, uh, uh, you know, create turmoil. Uh, it's worked for them. I mean, I, I think Putin is very pleased with the way it's worked going back to 2016. Uh, and he's gonna to continue to try to, to do that. Now, uh, I think, uh, Joe Biden will have a different attitude uh, towards Russia. He'll make very clear that uh, that kind of behavior is unacceptable. Something that President Trump never was able to say to Putin, this is wrong. You do not interfere in our election. Uh, you do not uh, you know, put bounties on the heads of our men and women in uniform. Uh, and he is somebody who will 
rely on United States intelligence, not on Russian intelligence for the credibility of what's going on. Uh, so, you know, in, in many ways for, for Putin, uh, it's, gonna, it's back to the old ball game uh, in terms of uh, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Uh, and I think uh, that's important to, uh, to be able to draw those lines. And China, you know, ha having dealt with President Xi, I suspect that, uh, that President Xi probably thinks that, uh, uh, that he has a greater opportunity to have a dialogue with, uh, with uh, Pre President Biden. Uh, and I, I think uh, that's okay. Uh, but I do think that you, you've got to create that, that basic position of strength with regards to both China and Russia and Iran and North Korea, which is you've got to make very clear where the lines are in dealing with them. And you got to back it up with, uh, with action if necessary. Uh, and uh, if you draw those lines, then I think you can have a dialogue, very frankly. But because you, you know why? Because you're operating from a position of strength not a position of weakness. And you, you cannot deal with a Putin from a position of weakness. He's gonna take advantage of you. And that's what he's done the last few years. Uh, and the same thing is true for China. Uh, they, they will take advantage of it. When we, we pull back uh, from uh, a lot of our presence uh, in trade uh, with our uh, Asian allies, uh, China has just marched all over that place trying to uh, expand their trade, trying to expand their aid, trying to expand their diplomacy. They'll, they'll take advantage of it. Uh, and so what we need to do is to make clear, no, I'm sorry, we are a Pacific power. You are not going to uh, have a free reign on militarizing the South China Sea. You're not going to have a free reign on Hong Kong or Taiwan. You've got to make clear where the lines are. Uh, and uh, I think if we do that, uh, I actually think that, uh, yeah, then you can start having a dialogue it, it, with China on trade, with Russia on nuclear disarmament. Uh, and I even think if we got together with our allies again, uh, we might be able to get Iran back to the negotiating table. Uh, and we certainly will be dealing with the whole issue of climate change. So, so I think there's some real opportunity here to have the United States play the role that it should be playing with regards to world leadership. And, and Mr. Chairman, do you, um, I'm curious to see what your attitude is towards our dealings with our adversaries going forward, if it's the Biden administration, but also along the way. I mean, do you think that enough has, our democracy has been rattled enough by this election to, to help them? Um, and I guess what I want to segue into before we go to questions is briefly, if you guys would each talk about to, to the extent you can observe, you've observed the disinformation campaign or the other interference campaigns, do you think they've been uh, notable, effective, um, or we don't know yet? Yeah, thanks, David. Uh, first of all, our adversaries aren't going anywhere. And you have to remember that uh, China and Russia think our style of democracy uh, is our greatest weakness. They believe that passionately. So when they see that uh, we're fighting about ballots, and it's okay for us to fight about ballots, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying diminish the, the, the election, but you know, there, there's different races that are going to argue about ballots and all those. It happens every two years uh, in the United States. 
they think that's a weakness. They think that us, uh, you know, talking about who shows up and all the poll, they think all of that works against us. And so, yeah, if we think that somehow with this election that they're going to walk away and go, well, I guess, boy, that I guess we, we better get back in line is absolutely crazy. They are continuing. Matter of fact, the, the Chinese espionage activities in the United States make what the Soviet Union did targeting the United States uh, during the Cold War look like kindergartners. It is about every 10 hours, the FBI opens up a new uh uh, counterintelligence investigation against the Chinese operation here in the United States. Think of that. That is unbelievable how much resource they're applying to that. That's only going to get worse, not getting better. They're, now the Chinese are also getting into information operations, and they're getting a little smarter about how they do it. Uh, we're watching, certainly the Russians are getting better and better. Now, I will say in 2018, uh, the National Security Agency did a pretty good job about playing whack-a-mole with folks who were trying to influence elections. And here's the thing about that. So I, I'm part of the German Marshall Fund. We were tracking everything that the Russians were doing. Um, and uh, there's a couple other organizations I work with that try to figure out what they're doing and make it public. Transparency is a great sanitizer for what they're doing. But I argue it was really effective. And it wasn't because they were changing votes. Even though they tried to break into systems to change votes, uh, what was important with them, and they realized this, that's back to the social media notion. They were using, uh, you know, white supremacist groups to try to target against black activist groups and vice versa, Christian groups against Muslim groups. And what they were doing is taking a kernel of truth that there was some racial differences and divides and then pouring a little gas on it and then trying to get conflict. They wanted those groups to go after each other. And because what they would do with their, uh, their, their TV and media arm is tell all the stories around the world about how America's broken, because look at this. Look at their homeless problem in town. This is a terrible place to live. They're very, very good about uh, their information operations. So they'll use that information externally. And then they're trying to get us, as I said, with our hands around each other's throats. And so I have a different take than a lot of, I think they were very effective in 2016. And I think we had that, and they were good about sustaining that messaging about you should hate your neighbor for fill in the blank. Uh, he looks different. Uh, he practices religion in a different way. We need to hate each other for these things. We need to separate ourselves from these things. That was pretty effective. Now, what I saw on election day is 150 million Americans say, you know what? We're going to, and there was tons of money spent. I mean, unprecedented amounts of money. They came out and made their voice heard. That's how I, that encouraged me to no end to see that kind of participation given the gloom and doom that was happening everywhere, uh, including our external partners, the Chinese and the Russians. And I will say nothing, you know, everything is not completely perfect. Here's the I irony of Donald Trump and the Russians. They really did do a lot. They did the first uh, offensive weapons in Ukraine. We, the, the Obama administration just didn't want to get there. And I, I get all that. I'm not, I'm not being partisan here. They just couldn't quite get there. Uh, on sanctions, it was a little less than we thought that they needed to be doing. And so he, he had these conversations and a head-scratching conversations about not confronting them on, on putting bounties on our U.S. soldiers, which should have been uh, about as maddening and uh, as you can get. And, and it really should have been an outrage moment for the presence. He never doesn't say anything. And yet he's willing to give offensive weapons, which we didn't get to get done earlier. I mean, it is such a dichotomy. And I think that inconsistency worked against US policy 
uh, in a way that's hard to fathom. I mean, had, had we had it all put together, we could have been there. And I think so. I think with the, uh, the Biden administration coming in, I think we have an opportunity to repair that. I think to Leon's point about saying now there's some certainty in what we're all everybody's on the same page now. We're all saying the same thing. You do this activity, something bad's going to happen to you. You interfere with our elections. I don't care if it's information operations or something else. There will be a consequence for this. Oh, and by the way, China, we're not going to let you bribe uh, and use espionage and theft uh, to gain IP advantage around the world uh, and compete against our uh, Western valued companies in the United States. We're not going to do that anymore. And so I think that level of certainty is a good for national security. I think it's good for relations. It's good for our allies. And I think it puts our adversaries on notion like don't don't do anything crazy. Uh, we're going right. to be united. Thank you. So we have I want to get to just a couple of questions in the time we, we have left. You mentioned uh, Mr. Rogers mentioned a minute ago the uh, 150 million turnout, an amazing uh, turnout, which um, Lee, which feeds right into a question from uh, a former president of the FMC, um, Congressman Stearns of Florida, um, who wants to know, uh, has a question about polling. Uh, so Mr. Stearns, if you would unmute and ask ahead. Yeah, uh, can you hear me okay? We can. Hey, Cliff. Um, it's nice to see both of you and thank you so much for your participation with the former members of Congress Association. Um, there's been a lot of articles recently on the polling, how long it's been. And I called up one of my close friends, uh, Whit Ayers, who does a lot of polling for presidential candidates. And I talked to him about it. And I think uh, the general feeling is that the polling was all wrong and particularly uh, for the Senate, as well as for even some of the members of this, the House. And I was curious what, uh, what your opinion is with uh, the polling. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to jump in. It, it was a disaster. I mean, it wasn't even close. I mean, it was just a disaster. And this is about the third cycle. They haven't gotten it right. And I do believe because of the way people communicate with each other, uh, they're going to have to refigure, they're going to have to do different metrics to get to these polling numbers. Uh, and I do think media outlets have some responsibility. I mean, think about everybody that got it that wrong will be in the polling business on Monday selling candidates on their polls. And my argument is there probably ought to be a price in every other business in the world, there's a price to pay for being this wrong. Uh, and I don't, I, I think it's a disservice to Americans. And now what I saw is that Americans didn't really care what the polls were, they still showed up uh, and voted, which I think is fantastic. It gives me, it excites me. I do think they're gonna have to figure out a new way to get to, to polling. And I do think that there was, you know, people, you know, people got so angry, I mean, there were, my friend was just coming on an airplane the other day, and he said there was a fight on the airplane over politics. Uh, two groups of people were going at it. They had to turn the plane around and get the police on board. And I went, holy mackerel. So polling, you know, some of those people are going to vote a certain way and just not either not answer the poll or, I mean, if you're fighting over a bag of peanuts, that's probably worth it. But fighting over politics on the airplane, I don't, I don't quite get it. Yeah. I, I listen. I, I think uh, I think the pols pollsters have just uh, missed it entirely. Uh, these are different times, you know. You used to be able to uh, call on a hard phone and find people in their home and be able to get uh, 
you know, and, and, and people would usually give you uh, probably an honest opinion as to what they're thinking. And, you know, th those are, those days are gone. Uh, we're now dealing with uh, social media. Uh, you're dealing with cell phones. Uh, you're dealing with people who are, are part of a, uh, of a base that frankly, I think they operate on the basis that if somebody calls to get your opinion, you lie to them or you don't answer them. Uh, and I think that's almost a deliberate strategy. And I think there are probably a lot of, a lot of people who gave pollsters the wrong information about you know, where they were, because frankly, they said it's not their business, number one. Number two, they kind of like it when the pollsters are wrong. Uh, and and uh, you know, matter, matter of fact, I had a lot of Trump people came up to me and said, that, let me tell you something, these polls are way off. You know, they just do not reflect what people are really thinking. Uh, and they were right. And they were right. So uh, if polls, if we're going to have polling, boy, do they have to change their approach here. And I, I'm not quite sure how you do it. I, I don't know that you can just rely on the same sources uh, and, uh, you know, take a random number and hope that you can then find out what's really happening. I, I think they're going to have to put more people out in the field. They're going to have to look at people in their eyes. They're going to have to talk to people. They're going to have to get back to some of the old uh, approaches to trying to really determine just exactly what people are thinking. Uh, because uh, unless they do that, if they just continue to try to take shortcuts and it's a hell of a lot cheaper to take shortcuts, they're going to get it wrong. And uh, as an industry, frankly, they're going to lose their, they've already lost a lot of their credibility. Uh, I don't know, you know, if, if I were, running for national office, would I rely on those polls? Hell no. Uh, you can't rely on them. Yeah. And uh, you'd be smart uh, not to. Uh, so if they want to get back in the business, boy, they're going to have to take some steps to improve the credibility of what they produce. Thank you. So um, our next questioner uh, is uh, Ton Vu from the Embassy of Vietnam, who has a question about the um, is a specific trade, I believe. So, uh, Ton, go ahead and unmute your mic and ask away. Are you there? Maybe you're not. <laughs> don't know what the question was, so I can't pose it. I can't pose it for him or her. I'm sorry. I don't. Sorry. Um, well. You want me to take a shot at take it? Take a shot. So what? Yeah. So what's so what's the the yeah, last I time I thought we had a, we had a Pacific Rim trade deal that got close at the end of the Obama administration, and then it, I haven't heard from it since. Feeling that's probably what it's about. Um, yeah. uh, which is, you know, I mean, I, we in the Obama administration, uh, and certainly when I was uh, director of the CIA and also Secretary of Defense, uh, I thought it was incredibly important to build our relationships with the ASEAN countries uh, and uh, the other Southeast Asia countries. Matter of fact, on Vietnam, uh, I went to Vietnam as Secretary of Defense. We, we established a relationship with Vietnam, allowed our ships to be able to, uh, to go there for maintenance. Uh, and uh, Vietnam was a good partner, uh, a good partner, both in terms of uh, an economic partnership and also a security relationship uh, in dealing with China. Uh, and uh, I think what happened was uh, obviously the administration pulled out of the, uh, of the trade agreement, which was a real mistake.
because frankly, the best way to confront China on trade is to build uh, a trade relationship between the United States and these other ASEAN countries. Uh, that's, I mean, those countries are developing countries. They're doing well in terms of their economy. They are a real resource for the future. And we've got to reestablish uh, that relationship uh, with countries there. Do you expect Biden, do you expect Biden will, will take this on? I think, I think that Joe Biden will take steps to put that uh, agreement back in place. They're gonna, they'll, ob they'll obviously have to make some changes because there was some opposition to some of the elements of it. But I think, I think it would be an important step to try to put that back in place. Why? Because that's the best way to send a message to China that we're back in the game. Gotcha. And, and Mr. Rogers- Can I um, jump in on that? Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, I thought I, I, there was elements of the TPP I was not comfortable with. And I, I think they missed the, the technology piece in there. And I think this is a real opportunity for the Biden administration to fix that piece. I think I don't think they would be opposed to it, and then aggressively uh, re-engage on that. And as as Leon said, there is no better way. If you want to see she, you know, she's head pop off, sign that agreement. Uh, I'd love to do it in Vietnam. That'd be fantastic, uh, because he understands that that start. What they're doing now, China is bullying these smaller countries. Economically, they have economic levers that, that 20 years ago they didn't have. Now they're using their military and this economic leverage. This really starts sending a shot across their bow that we, we're just not going to put up with it. And by the way, these are our allies. These are our friends. We're going to stick with our friends and we're going to they're going to do well economically. They're going to grow economically. Uh, and if you want to be part uh, of the world of nations, you might want to rethink your strategy. I, I think this would be one of the most important things we can do to push back on what is a growing, and sometimes the, sh the teeth are getting a little sharper on China. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think this kind of a thing can make sure that the world understands we're all going to stand together on this. So, so uh, lightning round in the last couple of minutes, what... Um... When will, when will we know, when will you feel confident you know who has been elected president and why? Um, I, I, think, uh, I think as soon as we get uh, the, uh, the, I mean, I think we're, we're, we're about to get the results, uh, you know, both in Nevada and Arizona. And I, I mean, obviously once those two report, uh, Biden is where he needs to be. Uh, if, if Georgia perhaps switches, and that's a possibility uh, in these next couple of days, and uh, if, uh, if President Trump loses Georgia, it's over, uh, no matter what happens in Pennsylvania. So uh, I, I think those, those are probably the key states to watch right now. I would just say, listen, I, I think, listen, I don't think it's trending well uh, for Trump uh, at this point. Uh, but my thing is, if if it goes into Monday of next week, uh, and, but the votes are counted and people feel that it's legitimate, listen, none of this works if the 150 million people who showed up don't believe their vote got counted. And my argument is, we ought to. If it takes a couple extra days, remember, there's a lot of hand counting going on. That's 150 million ballots. Uh, you know, it could take a little longer than than we would hope or want. Uh, but we ought to take the time. That's when I'm going to feel good when they, everybody says, yep, we've counted all our ballots. The Secretary of States have, have certified the election. Then I'm going to feel pretty good about uh, the election. And until then, uh, think about it. Uh, you know, 
affirmation TV, where I turn, you know, everybody turns into the TV channel that supports their views is going to have a heyday. Think of the, think of the revenue that's going to be generated in the next five days. They ought to be really happy about this. And, and neither of you put much, have much worry about uh, a flood of litigation uh, and the president, uh, are, you know, arguing this all the way to the Supreme Court and making Amy Coney Barrett make a, uh, make a difficult choice. Not if, uh, not if the state and local uh, officials, election officials are doing their job uh, in counting the votes. I mean, I, I think Mike is right. Uh, you, you got you to count uh, all of these votes. Uh, and, and very frankly, uh, I, don't, I don't think uh, there's even a chance of, uh, of the president succeeding to defeat uh, unless all the votes are counted. Uh, and then I think, uh, you know, uh, the Republican leadership is going to have to uh, make clear that the game is over uh, to the president. But the key right now is to allow them to do their job, count the votes. And I think all of us do need to be patient uh, until we get to a final vote. Like, you know, the media is going nuts. I mean, I, let's face it, uh, the, the media, you know, is, they're churning on this stuff. And I, I've seen them play with the maps a thousand times. Uh, and, and there's nothing new that they're saying, but they're going to keep saying it uh, and they're going to try to keep your attention. Uh, so, you know, the media is going to be, uh, it's, it's going to continue to try to make hay out of the situation. But I really do think those 150 million people who voted really just need to sit back uh, and wait for the final results in this handful of states uh, to determine uh, who the next president of the United States is going to be. Uh, and can I just kill this conspiracy theory? Any notion that Donald Trump isn't going to leave office, I don't know any military officer, I don't know any Secret Service agent that's going to say you're going to, this, this is all conspiracy conjecture to get people whipped up. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. If he goes to court, the court will rule. Uh, this is going to be an orderly election, even though we don't like the way maybe he's talking about it. And I think it's divisive and not helpful for the country. Okay, I got it. Uh, but there, none of that's going to happen. Uh, I'll guarantee you there's a burly uh, Secret Service agent right now planning his grabbing by the scruff to go out if he decides he's not leaving. It just isn't going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, as an old FBI guy, I can't imagine a president of either party asking uh, to stay because he believed or she believed uh, they were president. It's not going to happen. I, you know, we have a court system. We ought to celebrate this. Listen, he's, it's, again, not the way we would have done it. But he's going to go to court. He's going to get a ruling, and then it's going to be over. Yeah, no. As, uh, as a former Secretary of Defense, uh, you know, and I, I've talked to a lot of our military leadership. Uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, their first loyalty is to the Constitution. Uh, they're not going to be politicized. Uh, and those that worry about uh, whether or not they could be activated as a political arm of the president. That's just not gonna happen. Uh, it's true with the Secret Service. Uh, it's true with others. Uh, they swear an oath to the constitution and oh yes, they mean it. Yeah, exactly. And I think you're gonna see uh, Republicans, uh, like some notion that Republicans are not gonna step up, I, I think is hogwash. The yeah. more he does this, the more he hurts his brand, the more Republicans are like, wait a minute. I, this, this, I didn't sign up for any of that. I just, I don't believe it. So All right. let's well, see if we can kill that conspiracy right now. <laughs> on that optimistic note, I am going to, uh, I'm going to thank the two of you, obviously, and say I, I learned a ton and, and was reassured in many, many ways. 
do I, I don't know if I flip it back to Paul Kincaid or if I just say, um, thank you all for tuning in. This was wonderful. And please, play, please pay attention to the former members of Congress. Sign up for the Fulcrum at thefulcrum.us. That's my shameless plug. And good night to you all. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Leon. Thanks, David. <laughs>